This episode is brought to you by Meow Wolf. Manifest unique family memories at Meow Wolf Denver. Quantum travel is the most comfortable way for Earthers of all ages to explore a playground of imagination. And why visit just once when this immersive experience reshapes every time you enter? C Street is my favorite because C Street has this vibe of like 80s dystopian. There's like slime coming down the walls and there's weird posters. And then of course, the secret club. With the annual Portal Pass, drop by Convergence Station as much as you want for less than the cost of two adult tickets. So if you plan to go twice, it's worth it. Plus, enjoy discounts, special offers, and so much more. Get the annual Portal Pass and spend quality space time with your favorite Earthers today. Learn more at MeowWolf.com. That's MeowWolf.com. Today on CityCast Denver. A few months back, we heard a rumor about a lost network of mysterious tunnels running underneath downtown Denver. So who built them? Who used them? And where do they lead? Back in January, I spoke with historian Tracy Beach about her book revealing all the secrets hiding in Denver's lost tunnels. And we're resharing that conversation today. Today is Thursday, July 20th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Tracy Beach, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi. So Tracy, I understand there are tunnels under downtown Denver. Can you start by telling me where are they? Well, actually, there's a lot of tunnels underneath Denver. They go all around the downtown area. They were used for numerous things. The one thing I always tell people when they're looking for tunnels is don't look at what it is, look at what it used to be. So for for example, outside the Oxford Hotel, you'll notice that there's open areas with little guardrails all the way around them where you can look down from the sidewalk and you can see the basement level where the beauty shops are and stuff outside the Oxford. Those are the tunnels. The, they took up the sidewalk. They put up the railings to allow light and air to get into their basement levels, which now have like a doctor's office and beauty shops and things. Those are your tunnels. Okay. Those actually go partially underneath the street. Now you have to remember the trolleys ran in the center of the street. So you cannot have a tunnel that goes all the way across except for at an intersection. That's why these tunnels would be up to the point in which the trolley was because the trolley has a mound and it has to be sturdy. So they had these stone walls on each side of where the trolley tracks were. Now, that's when the tunnel started being destroyed was because we went from horse and buggies and Model Ts to UPS trucks and semis. So at each of those intersections where it was weakest, because that's where it had the tunnel that crossed at the intersection, they were starting to collapse from the weight of the trucks. At that point is when they started to shut down the intersection tunnels because they were collapsing. That was in the 1950s. So how did you find out about them? There's There was actually a map that I was able to get hold of from a man named Kenton Forrest. He worked at the Golden Train Museum. He has since passed and he gifted it to me. His father actually was one of the people who worked on the tunnel system and laid the tile inside of it and things like that. He heard all of his stories from his father and why they started closing up the tunnels. And then he also was able to get a photo that I was able to use. Two of them 
actually of the Union Depot tunnels and then also one of them of the tunnel that ran from the Windsor. So you mentioned that these were like tiled. These are like legitimate like these were legitimately built tunnels. Yes, they were about 10 feet wide and over 10 feet tall. They were um, used so that people could walk around town. Um, If you think about it, you have these fancy hotels like the Oxford, the Windsor, stuff like that. So and back in the day, the roads were dirt and there was horses and horses do what (laughs) horses do. And there was that and mud and everything everywhere. Well, the elites don't want to be sitting there leaving the train station in their pretty fancy shoes and their pretty fancy dresses. So what they would do is with these tunnels is there was horse and buggies underneath the tunnels. There were stables in the tunnel system that were in the basements of different buildings. That's where the horses were were, um, stabled, was in the basements of buildings. What? And there's actually, there's a map in my book that Kenton Forrest gift, gifted me that shows a location of one of those stables. So people would go and they would simply load up into the little carriages and they would put all their luggage in there and they would be taken to their hotels. And there was below ground beauty shops, below ground everything. And they would simply turn the horses around, head back, turn it back around and just go back and forth. So the elite didn't have to mess with all the mess and the horse yuckies and everything up top. Yeah, you're you're painting a, the accurate picture that we often don't have when we <laughs> we look at like Victorian, you know, or like Gilded Age Denver, for instance. Yeah. It's like, um, you know, horses as you're saying, make poop and cities were kind of stinky and dirty. And yeah. And you mentioned there was like beauty shops and other amenities. So it was like a second city in some senses below the city. Yes. Well, this is really, really common back in the day because you have to understand that everybody wants to be on the main streets. Everybody wants their business to be seen right there. That's why in England is where it started really. And then when they came across the pond, they just brought it with them. So so the one thing that they would do is since everybody wanted to be on the main street, they simply would have the first floor, the second floor, and then they would go and have the basement level would be below ground shops. Ah. Then that way they would have stairs that would go down to these below ground shops. Then that way people could have more businesses on the main street. Okay. And then, and then some of them where you would take the staircase down from the sidewalk, like you see in, in New York, yeah. staircase down, and then you would just walk all underneath the sidewalks and hit the different stores. Now, those stores were mainly commerce, shoe shops, grocery stores, barber shops, laundry, things like that. And then up on the main streets, you would have the fancy clothes, the fancy shoe shops, things like that. So you mentioned like folks would get off the train and... And then, you know, ride to, for instance, the Brown Palace. Where else would these tunnels go? Well, the, well, you have to understand that it's like there, there was a time in which there was the big, huge fight where they were burning down the Chinese areas in Denver. You're talking about the racist anti-Chinese riots of 1880, right? Yes. Now, what had happened during those anti-Chinese riots was the Chinese, of course, were supplying a lot of the restaurants. They were doing the cooking. They were the cooks. They were also doing the laundry and the housekeeping. So at the time of the Chinese riots and everything, the Chinese had to go underground. Now, of course, these tunnels already existed. So what they did was the hotels and the restaurants still needed those people to come and do their services, but they didn't want to be seen entering the building. So they would simply, they moved their shops into the below ground areas. They would have the laundromats and the things like that. And they would just simply push the 
say, the laundry carts and stuff through the tunnels to each hotel to pick up the laundry. <sighs> wow. So, okay, so... Asian folks and, and maybe other immigrants who are, are doing this like kind of behind the scenes labor are utilizing these tunnels. Yes. Folks are utilizing them for travel. I would also I just have to assume sex workers were also and their clients and customers were utilizing these tunnels as well. Yes. Now on Market Street, which used to be called Holiday Street, they that's where they had a lot of the brothels, you know, like um, Maddie's House of Mirrors, which was originally owned by Jeannie Rogers. And then when Jeannie Rogers died, I believe of kidney failure, her competition, Maddie Silks, purchased her brothel. And then as spite toward Jeannie Rogers, Maddie Silks then went and put her name and tile at the front entrance as kind of like, haha, I now can step over you and now I own your place. But those areas all had tunnels so that people could go and they could sneak in and not they, they could not be seen. But when I was working on my Laura Evans biography, Laura Adams was, she worked for Jeannie Rogers at one point, and she also then became a madam in her own right for 50 years in Salida. She talked about in her diaries about how people were warned not to use the tunnels in regards to the brothels because men would get jumped and stabbed and robbed in those by other men and by some of the women. Whoa. You're also just like painting this amazing picture that I can't believe hasn't been made into a movie like the Wild West aspect of like Jeannie Rogers versus Maddie Silks, the like yeah. queens of the bra, like these amazing madams. Like, where's that movie? I want to watch. Exactly. <laughs> So one thing I wanted to ask you about is something that I noticed when we were in the basement of that bar downtown or like these glass, round glass, like skylight things. Yes. But you can also see them from the street. Right. If you look at some like maybe where the steps are to a, a, a bar like this, there's little round glass pieces that are letting light in from up top, basically. Yes. Are, so are those like are those things that we could see throughout Denver, like downtown? Are there are there spots where those little like miniature skylights are in the streets? Um, there's they're very, very few and far between okay. because what happens is, is that over time, the entire um, it's like a big, huge square with the crystals in it and it's made out of metal. And over the years, people start stealing the crystals. They start kind of disintegrating and everything from all the snow. Uh -huh. And so a lot of them end up disappearing. But there is a couple of them that do still exist. Now, at the former Blake Street Vault, um, which is now on our farms, I do you really have always loved how they did how the original staircase into the bar is made out of the crystals and how they put a um, fluorescent light in the basement underneath of it. So the whole thing glows at night. It's so pretty. You know, Denver, in, in comparison to other cities around the world, is not a very old city. But this has me thinking about the sort of once thriving underground life below Denver. What makes you so fascinated in these spaces below our city? Well, when I was working on my biography about Laura Evans, I was um, I got hold of her diaries. Now, I was raised in Salida. She had an entire red light district that she took care of a whole block with two brothels, numerous cribs. They had parties every single night up and down the street, people dancing. It must have been awesome. <laughs> so I got hold of her diaries and she had mentioned that there was tunnels underneath the sidewalks in Salida. 
Well, I had never heard of it, but a lot of the Laura Evans things had gone hush-hush when I was growing up. So I went down to the museum and I was like, hey, where are these tunnels? And they go, oh, it's a rumor. It's a rumor. And I said, Laura Evans' diaries said that she had that she helped the bootleggers hide booze in these tunnels during Prohibition. He goes, oh, rumor, rumor. So the Chamber of Commerce and the museum share a building. And so when I was talking with the man, I was getting ready to leave. One of the women at the Chamber of Commerce goes, come here. And she slips me a piece of paper. She goes, you need to call me. Be quiet. So I left. <laughs> so I called her up that night and she said, look, I know where there's one building that has an open tunnel. She says, you cannot use my name because me and my friends broke into the building to do a seance on Halloween night in the tunnel with a Ouija board. And I don't want to get in trouble, but here's the address and here's what it looks like. So I went to the address the next day and I was like, hey, I'm looking for tunnels. I'm writing this book on Laura Evans. And he goes, oh yeah, sure. Come here. So he hands me a flashlight and he takes me down to the basement. Now I had no clue what I was supposed to be looking at. I didn't know what these tunnels were. Nothing. Takes me into the basement, wooden old original floor. And he says, see, there's a big, huge wooden door at the end. He goes, open the door. Here's the flashlight. And I open this big, huge wooden door. I stepped in and I'm looking up at this six foot tall, five foot wide tunnel, sidewalks above my head. It went the whole length of the street. I had no clue what I was looking at, but it was so cool. I was like, oh, I want to know all about this thing. This is neat. <laughs> and so I just was in love right there. I thought that was just the coolest thing I'd ever seen. I felt like Indiana Jones. And I was like, you know what? I want to find the rest of these. I love it. Tracy, thank you so much. This is fascinating. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> and here's what else Denverites are talking about. Gender-affirming surgery. Children's Hospital Colorado announced recently that they have stopped performing chest reconstruction on transgender patients over the age of 18. According to the Denver Post, this comes in the context of a broader trend at children's hospitals across the country to back off of gender-affirming care in the face of threats. A spokesperson for Children's Hospital Colorado clarified that they've never offered these procedures for children under 18. They also explain that the hospital has taken several additional steps to protect the safety of their staff, patients, and families, and they will continue to offer non-surgical gender-affirming care. And in beer news, Casa Bonita will now be offering its own locally made house beer. Named literally Casa Beer, the Denver Post reports that the South Park dudes and head chef Dana Loca Rodriguez teamed up with local punks Ratio Beer Works to craft a Mexican lager with a hint of lime. Ratio spokesperson Marika Evinger says, quote, it breaks away from being that sweeter corn-based beer into this really refreshing, crisp lime beer you want to pound on your patio or in Black Bart's cave with a sopapilla. And finally... Another voicemail from a listener on Denver's so-called rival, Salt Lake City, Utah. Hi, my name is Christopher. I've been listening for quite a while and first time calling in with a comment. I grew up both in Salt Lake City and in Denver, Colorado. Uh, I do believe that Salt Lake is not our rival city, or at least, uh, you know, we're not nemesis. Uh, the closest comparison for Salt Lake, I think, is actually Boise. But if we're going to compare oranges to apples, Salt Lake City lacks a ton of charm that Denver has. There's 
I mean, there's diversity problems throughout most of the Western large cities, but uh, Salt Lake City is a pretty bland city. It's extremely clean. It's extremely beautiful. I think they have that cleanliness thing above Denver pretty well. Maybe Mayor Mike Johnson will, will fix that for us. But ultimately, Salt Lake City is uh, fairly unimaginative and not really culturally interesting. I think the theocracy takes a little bit of a <laughs> takes a little bit of a, of a, of a you know a, a lead in that in that decision. That is exactly why I left Salt Lake City for Denver. And the only people I know that are leaving Denver for Salt Lake City are of the prominent religion of that city. I do wish for success for Salt Lake City, and I think Denver is. I just think my favorite city in the West, and I, I look forward to living here for the rest of my life. Anyway, cheers, guys. Great show. Talk to you later. Bye. What do you think about Salt Lake City? Is it our rival or do they not really hit the mile high standard? Call the Salt Lake City hotline and leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood. That number is 720-500-5418. And don't sit on your hot take because we're going to hash this beef out with the CityCast Salt Lake folks soon. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell your friends in Salt Lake City about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. I feel like it's really fun to be a spokesperson where you're like, this is the serious thing I have to talk about right now. Where to drink your Mexican lager.